Welcome to Zero Trust 30. I'm your host, George Wilkes, and this is the show that helps you make sense of the cybersecurity sensation that is Zero Trust. For more information on Zero Trust network access solutions, you can check out AppGate.com, but that's not why we are here to talk today. Uh, I am here joined by Tony Zernoon, who is the head of tech alliances at AppGate. Tony is a seasoned cybersecurity professional with more than 25 years of experience guiding and advising the go-to-market strategy for enterprise IT and cybersecurity, Fortune 500 companies, startups, incubators, and accelerators. Tony, if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and say hello to the audience for us. Hello, everybody. Great to be here, George. Thanks, Tony. And then we are also joined by Wayne Giles, who's the Director of Technology Integrations at AppGate. Wayne also has more than 25 years of experience as an IT leader, solutions architect, and program leader, directing technical teams on the development of complex cloud solutions. He's an AWS solutions architect, holds an AWS specialty certifications in networking and security, and is a certified Kubernetes administrator. Wayne, go ahead and say hi to the audience too, please. Hi, guys. Absolutely an honor to be here. Can't wait to get into the conversation. Awesome. So look, we've uh, we've got two integrations, tech alliance people together. Um, there's only one thing that we could possibly be talking about, and that's basically how to weave zero trust access into the fabric of our ecosystems. But before we do that, we're going to play the what's bugging you game so we can let these guys vent a little bit. Uh, Tony, let's start with you. What's bugging you? Zero trust solution. Please stop saying that. That doesn't mean anything to anybody. There is no such thing as zero trust solution. If we're talking about it, let's talk about what it is. Is an architecture, is an outcome. We're going to get there, but I think we're at the point that we need to place zero trust on zero trust vendors. There's just way too many people using the zero trust thing for what wasn't intended, and certainly there's no such a thing in the market, and I don't think there's ever going to be something that says zero trust solutions. That's my pet peeve. Love it, Wayne. How about you? Yeah, uh, for me at this point, I I really think after now that you decided to roll out to the entire world, I have 25 years of experience. Um, <laughs> I really come to the point that it's after so many waves of just mind blowing technical innovation in our world, people still think so small. You know, you still mm-hmm. have people who, when there is a a sea change in their industry coming at them still doubt it, still push back, still don't realize how quickly things can be disrupted because zero trust. And Tony, I absolutely jump on your bandwagon and agree with you. There is no point and click solution. This is an architecture. This is a way of operating your business. It's a big deal and people need to embrace it because it's the way the world's going. Now, that's very, very true. And I think, again, like you said, it ties nicely into what Tony said in terms of what's bugging him. Um, sometimes the market does not do the the people doing the work and, and building the architectures any favors because it creates a lot of confusion and a lot of uh, bandwagoning around the next sexy buzzword. What I find funny, too, uh, especially having been through a couple of these waves, because not the only person with a little gray in his beard here on this call, being through <laughs> a few of these waves... Um, I think often people don't understand that the vendor on the other side of the table is figuring this out at the same time too, right? Like this is a brand new thing for everybody. Nobody has the perfect answer yet. 
Yeah, there is no silver bullet. So let's get into the topic at hand. So we're going to be talking specifically about zero trust access policy. And again, I just want to specify it's a very important word there when we're talking about access. Again, Tony, back to your point, right? Can't buy a zero trust solution, but you can buy zero trust network access solutions and tools and, and technologies. Uh, so we're going to talk about the policy enforcement and the potential when using these technologies for working alongside complementary and existing tech installs. Uh, you know, we're really kind of teasing this idea of building a dynamic zero trust architecture that's fueled by risk and contextual data. Um, and we're also going to kind of touch on the fact that there's inherent security benefits of allowing these technologies to interoperate, but also there's operational benefits and automation capabilities that can be achieved as well. It's not all about securing your organization. It's also about empowering and enabling your organization through technology, which I think is a, a unique stance for, for security nowadays, because it's typically been perceived in uh, uh, the different and opposite light of it being very friction-based. So let's kick this off. Tony, let's start with you. Let's lay a little bit of groundwork first here. Can you kind of give me your vision of zero trust access and how you see it fitting into today's existing ecosystems? Absolutely. I, I think, um, as Wayne said, you know, everybody's trying to figure this out because what, what has happened with zero trust architecture and this approach we're taking, we are changing our relationship to trust, right? I mean, that, that's really what we're talking about. We used to be that we issued employee cards. Everybody's our employees. We had a castle and moth, right? People were in place. And inherently, you trusted people to do good things. And then you had firewall rules. And okay, people generally going to do good things. Um, what has happened because of all the changes and, you know, uh, global, you know, hybrid workforce, post-pandemic life, right? Everybody's out there, connected things together, billions of them. We have to make this shift together. We are changing our relationship to trust. We're saying we don't trust anybody and we always will verify. And based on that, based on your need to know access, I will allow you that which you need to have access to, to do your job. And that's the premise of it. So when you look at the ecosystem, people, we have gone through massive changes, right? There's this thing called the hype curve, right? The Gardner, you know, mm -hmm. covers, and we've, we've gone through different maturities. They've already done investments to say, okay, well, I need to be able to get the control. Uh, uh, I need to control the premise of identity, right? How do I make sure... George Wilkes is George Wilkes and not George Wilkes, right? And, you know, <laughs> see, I told you I was going to use that. So um, we need to know that it is really you, right? Where are you in, in this uh, moment in time? Are you coming in remotely? Are you on-prem? The, the logical identity, the physical, all that kind of aspect. So people have done those investments, right? So I think and much like that, we've had endpoint security and network security and cloud security. There's a lot of different investments. I think... Nirvana is kind of where we want to at least try to contribute what we can do is to help um, provide the level of automation validation we need to do. How do I consume someone's identity, right, uh, as part of the entitlement process that I go through, as part of defining the policy? If I need to know who you are, where you are, on what device you are, right, and all those, you know, um, situational information I need to gather, 
then I should be able to make a better dynamic secure access policy that is based on Azure Trust, that follows that relationship to trust, right? But it starts with us having to get that mind shift, right? Going from the policies the way we had defined, you know, for firewalls and access rules and almost flip it upside its head. And that's really the, the challenge that exists, right? We need to kind of rethink how we've done business in the past. And for I sure. think part with collecting this information and there's, uh, many of those that we can dig in deeper, right? But I would say that if we can leverage at a high level, make sure that the way we define policies is contextual and is intelligence aware. That would be the premise, I would say. And that's kind of what we're thinking here when Wayne and I look at a lot of different things is, okay, um, we need we know we're dynamic and let's see what is out there that we can leverage as part of this, you know, um, entitlement policies we talked about. Wayne, what, what, what do you think? So you're you're talking about like the groundwork, right? And, and like from the basics, I think as you look at the the vision of zero trust in my mind and and how I see it, is everything should start from an idle state of zero, right? There is no impl- implicit permission to do anything on a network, which is not the static state of things today, especially in castle environments, and needs of the business create the channel that opens up all of the permissions and the more transparently and the less that the business, whatever the value stream is, has to be involved, the better. And I see through actual things being developed in the space from how we watch customers of ours deploy the product to custom integrations we're developing now, that be the path we're all going on. And so while Tony is 100% right uh, about it, identity and users, it expands past that. It becomes to applications and how you authorize storage rights and how you allow replication to happen. That if there isn't a driving business need and, and well-built zero trust technology can go query an internal system and validate, does this business need exist? still mm. now and then authorize and on the fly it, it it impresses me the percentage of customers that we have that never even use a console everything they do with our product is programmatic through an api yeah i think that's a big differentiation i think that that's kind of where we need to be going 100 percent. you know i think um but you know as we talked about we, we're going to start where the we are solving certain problems, right? Initially, we've seen this come, as you mentioned, zero trust network access. Because of the pandemic, we saw that be one of the initial pain points. But our customers are taking us to solve these problems closer to their businesses, closer to their processes. And we've seen that um, use cases be very, very innovative. You know, before I came here, one of the use cases that really captured my attention was how um, AppGate customers have managed to integrate with their ITSM in particular mm. with ServiceNow. Look at the ticket, exactly to what Wayne was talking about, to say, is there a need? Is there a ticket for someone to make this change? You know, let's just start there. If there's no such ticket, there's no such requirement from the business for somebody, third party or remote user or whatever it is, to come and modify, manage, whether it's privilege or not, then why even bother um, providing that static you know, access, right? Uh, and and that, that's the bottom line. So let's let's take a step back because um, I think what you're talking about there, Tony, as well as Wayne. Obviously, when you're talking vision, is there is 
there's a maturity curve, just like you talked about, you know, the, the, the hype, um, the hype curve from mm-hmm. Gartner, there's a maturity curve of zero trust adoption and the capabilities of what are going to be at your fingertips for enabling the business down the road. But for many of the people listening to this podcast or just now picking up zero trust, or maybe they, you know, implemented it as a pure play VPN replacement because of the pandemic. And now they're trying to figure out what is next. What from the two of your from, from, from y'all's perspective, what are the basic interoperability requirements that an organization needs to consider when first adopting zero trust access for it to enforce the pure principles of zero trust? Wayne, do you want to kick us off with that? Uh, yeah, yeah, happy to. So I, I love frameworks because they're normally created by a group of people that have a broader breadth of exposure that force you to build a more well-rounded approach. And so when I start talking about zero trust architecture, I lean heavily on NIST 800-207. Mm-hmm. Anybody listening to this, if you haven't gotten inside that document, you need to. Uh, that's where this all starts from. The core components, as you asked me, is you need an enforcement mechanism. For most people, that's your zero trust network access device. It doesn't have to be. There's other plays. Depends on the business and the purses. But the vast majority of organizations, your zero trust network network access is the enforcement mechanism. And then around it, you build this collection of different types of intelligence and data feeds that allow that zero trust network device or application or however it's deployed to make those contextual decisions and then dynamically ensure that we're in that state. It's it's two of the big things that I find really powerful for zero trust in organizations that are trying to evolve to a more DevSecOps or, or, or at least just evolve to a more modern architecture is, is first in the fact that you're not static, right? Because you issued a permission at the start of a session doesn't mean it's now forever open. You're constantly reevaluating that. And that allows you so much more control over what happens and allows you to make contextual decisions dynamically during the business lifecycle. If if an event happens because, I don't know, the ERP says this is the window that a thing is allowed to happen, I only create those permissions for that moment. And then when the ERP says this event is no longer happening, I automatically pull back those permissions. The other really interesting layer about having now this collection of data points integrated into your network edge that allows you to control that access is if you compare it to like a next generation firewall, traditionally security had one enforcement point. If they wanted to create layer three, layer four rules, it was on the network edge. If I look at a modern microservice architecture, somebody deploying in containers like many organizations are, a zero trust environment, I have four more, I, I have four times the points I can do that same security control in different ways whether I implement it in the software, whether I implement it at the container level, whether I implement it inside the pod, whether I implement it in orchestration, or I do it at the network edge. That gives you a level of flexibility to work mm. with your organization to create the, as, as low a friction and ha- as high a value for them as possible instead of you just being the wall, right? We're the team. This rule has to go in. 
So that's great. And you know, what comes to mind to me as well is even when you think about all of the surrounding systems, but even the AWSs, the Azures, the Google Clouds, even just the underlying metadata associated with each of those resources is valuable data for policy enforcement and just in scaling right solutions oh, yeah. at the same rate as of which the cloud does. So Tony, same question back to you. What are the basic interoperability requirements that organizations need to consider when adopting zero trust access? As far as zero trust by itself, I think the premise, you know, just to recalc what was said, it needs to be ubiquitous, yeah. it needs mm-hmm. to be dynamic, it needs to be transparent, it needs to be frictionless, right? I mean, if any of those things are not meant, then the whole value of it kind of goes on the sidelines, right? Just not there. So keeping that in mind, as, as far as the actual integrations, um, you know, uh, Wayne already covered uh, most of it. And, you know, when we look for is to make it simple, right? I mean, there's a lot of standards, right? So um, we want to share telemetry. We want to share context. We want to share... Um, information that can be used, as you mentioned, whether these are tags and metadata from, you know, inside an ephemeral computer environment like the cloud that changes, obviously would be very much valuable to lever, uh, uh, provide a layer of abstraction. Maybe that's another aspect of it that we need to consider. Um, that abstraction is that it's a lot easier, as I mentioned, not just if there's an IP address coming to me, I need to know what that IP address is. I need to know what kind of device that is, right? So, in providing more information about that, both from the beginning, but also to the end side. As we go and try to do, uh, whether it is micro-segmentation, nano-segmentation, doing it at different levels, it's much more meaningful to have those tags to be interpreted. And we say, okay, this is a blue zone, this is a yellow zone, this is a red zone. Blue people can connect to blue zones, right? Without uh, the person trying to interpret a business requirement, have to know everything about the IP addresses and IP addresses changing all the time. Right. So we have invested in creating resolvers to understanding those tags that you were uh, you know, mentioning. So that level of abstraction, you know, it adds a lot of value. Um, getting additional contextual information from the endpoints, from the user, from the network, knowing that if this person is going to an end zone and if you know that the end zone has had something happen to it, maybe you know, it was hit by ransomware. Maybe they have exposure to some vulnerabilities, right? That is known. That information is important. It's kind of like doing contact tracing in the post-COVID mm-hmm. era, right? I mean, really, that's what we're talking about is understanding how does that change that that anchor for trust, right? I think um, what Wayne was mentioning, that just because somebody was given access at a time of authentication doesn't mean they should, you know, enjoy that throughout the session, uh, that brings back to my analogies. I haven't given you an analogy, but you know, I have to. Right? That's kind of like you going with your buddy, you know, um, driving and going to San Francisco late at night to go drinking. Same guy, same identity. But if he's drinking, his behavior is bound to change. Will you get in the car or will you take the keys away from him? Right? That's right. the kind of information we need to be able to really do the proper um, policy efficient, but also the enforcement at the right time. So hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, when I think about the first stages of deploying any kind of zero trust access, the, the identity component is, is is an obvious one, right? Whether that's one identity system or multiple identity systems. And I think what you just touched on there too, Tony, is getting that device posture intelligence, right? And that, that network um, intelligence feeding into it. 
And then maybe that you know is a good transition. Then let's talk about some of the more exciting uh, business process related potentials, right? So I guess the question that I would have for the two of you and Wayne, I'll, I'll kick it off with you is what, what is what are some of the most exciting potential when you think about the telemetry between different systems of a zero trust access solution getting fed data from a business solution and the cap- and the 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 output, right? The the value that somebody could get from that. Um. So the first, uh, I'll, I'll loop into where you were touching there uh, about all the evaluations that zero trust can do. Mm. Zero trust as an architecture is is a contextually aware bidirectional mesh of things. So don't also think about this as just I have a zero trust enforcement device, you know. And it evaluates all of these things and makes decisions. There's also the ability for your outside systems to inject things. You can actively have your your SEM or your ITSM system decide that something has changed and directly tell your zero trust layer that, okay, these users now are in a different state. You must take different action. And so that constantly aware and constantly reevaluating state of this mesh of security devices that come in together has it's like you want me to give one like amazing example of where you could do something cool endless possibility but, but there's like it's, it's like how many things can you build with a box of a thousand legos uh, there you go yeah the, the limit is your imagination. The, the Death Star, the Death Star. And, that's, <laughs> right. and, it's, and it's different for every organization, yeah. not only in what they have installed, but what they're trying to achieve, right? I mean, what their end state and their end goal looks like. Right. And it, like, it, it, what's, what's so exciting about the place we're in right now is that this is new and it's coming in across in across the world. I mean, you saw the White House memos. You've seen all of these organizations, all these standard bodies are saying, okay, the castle model failed. You will be going zero trust and it's being done in different ways. So the amazing ways that zero trust will be in two or three years from now, I I can't even begin to imagine. You have the opportunity to take Things as specific as Tony has a has a, a has a warm spot in his heart for OT and IoT environments, and the the security around those. You can take situations where, uh, as an example, organizations for IoT use a digital twin model, and digital twin models have uh, you know a cloud example of themselves that sit constant, and they're the only true value. And the device sitting in the field is nothing more than a read only copy of that configuration. Through a zero trust implementation, I can use that digital twin system to create an MFA authentication model for IoT. So now it's not I'm just doing a typing of the IoT device. I'm literally having an IoT device incorporate into an MFA model to prove its identity as it's coming in through a third party. And no one has to know a thing other than the developer that built the initial code and the DevOps team that sets up the deployment system. I think I just got a marketing epiphany in my head. Is that like the <laughs> avatar in the metaverse of IOTs? 
Is that what we just saw? Like there's an avatar version of it and you made sure that this avatar is the right version and that's where they live. <laughs> just, it hey, I, I, see, like, Tony, you scare me. Every time you talk like this, I fear I'm going to end up at a show wearing blue paint, standing at a trade booth. I'm not doing it, man. <laughs> You're not doing it. But, well, uh, you I might have that. to consider it now. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got to throw Metaverse in there somewhere, right? You know, there we go. Right. Well, I think, Wayne, you said something that's really important. I want to just double down on it, too, is that the idea of identity is not solely applicable to a user. Right. Yeah. But identity is applied universally for really anything with an IP address is an identity. I, that's why when I when I look at this, I really become focused on what is the value chain or what is the need of the business? Because sometimes, and, and that, you know, or whatever the organization, maybe it's not a business, maybe you're an NGO, maybe you're a government organization, right? Right that need that you're leveraging technology to perform has a bunch of components and zero trust can play in all of those components. Sometimes those are users. Sometimes those are applications. Sometimes they're data or locations and all of those things. You you touched on metadata. The entire world is going to run on metadata because there's so many layers of abstraction that IP addresses don't matter, right? All those things start falling apart. Tony, what, what are you thinking over there? I know you're eager to jump in. You've got something to say. <laughs> I think I, I like the, 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 you know, coming up with use cases and problems that people solve. And I often go back to the real world, right? I mean, I gave you one. But um, let's think about this, right? Let's, we talked about security, right? Where mm-hmm. things are going because we're changing our relationship with trust. There's another topic that we haven't touched on, and that's privacy, right? And that's what you know, people have to really consider, uh, which to me was another... Um, reason that I ended up at AppGate is that um, many people will give you this solution promise um, that, yes, I will change your relationship with trust and I give you a better you know, view of security if you come to my zero trust network access, blah, blah, blah. But then you find yourself that you don't have a lot of choice. I can, probably anybody can make your system very, very secure these days, right? I can check all the postures and make sure you are who you are and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you can get connected all great. But at the end of the day, we are not the people who can force, you know, or um, ensure for privacy for you. You can be on a very secure system, on a very, you know, secure authentication model. And if you decide to go and do something and share information you're not supposed to, and there's some behavior that is different, right? Let's take this note, an example, or any, any of those things that has to do with privacy, but also, you may, you know, uh, many companies come say, okay, do it, but I will route your traffic for you. You're going to have to trust me mm-hmm. that you're going to go through my backend cloud or my pops and the customer doesn't have a choice. Imagine if you're M&A or if you're dealing with some IoT rovers doing stuff, right? And you're ultimately trusting that vendor that they're not going to get hacked that they're better than FireEye, they're better than Kaseya, they never had any breaches on their VPNs, right? Just look at the news that's happening. Um, What is important that you provide customer choices, that we allow them to not have to make that uh, compromise, if you will. And that's important for us to be able to do. And um, where we can consume, like Wayne mentioned, any signals about behavior. It could be your GRC tool. It could be 
other tools are looking at from a privacy perspective and say, you know what, this is a UK resident. This is a Germany resident, right? And that's great. You can have the access. But if somebody was not, right, because COVID, they moved or they're in a different location and now this doesn't meet the privacy, we don't know. But if you get a signal, we can quarantine that user. We can throw an alert and say, hey, you cannot have access to this because you're in the wrong zone and you're breaking a, you know, infringement of that privacy requirement, right? So that's another topic or it's another use case that people may not be thinking about, but we do enable that. This is the partnerships that we can we can build on to to allow for, um, you know, I, I, you know, cherishing privacy as much as we can. Um, I give you an example: is you know, someone who's working and needs to secure access to a web application that is HIPAA or high trust governed. That's healthcare, right? And HIPAA is a law, right? So you say, okay, we grant you access, Tony. You're kosher. You're not drunk. You're good come in, your behavior is good, and we monitor that. As long as you have access to port 8080 or port 80, or whatever port is at the application. Now, if Tony's a curious guy or suddenly wants to go do something else by design, right? Zero Trust gives you a more of a, a defeat by design model versus a defense in depth. The castle versus, uh, you know, a, a Zero Trust architecture. Um, if Tony starts moving and starts kind of becoming curious and opens up a, a shell command, you know, SSH port 22. Well, by design, we ensure there was no such a requirement for him to have that access. So it's blocked and we can stop there, but we can share those events to your favorite SIM or your XDR du jour or whoever that is. They can look at it, create base baselines, thresholds and, and capture and flag that as a non-sanctioned activity. And they can come back and put an API It says, you know what? Tony is acting in a way that is at least suspicious, potentially malicious. Go ahead and blacklist him and do whatever else you need to do. Open up a ticket to someone, have a conversation with him. Those are kind of where I see, like what you said, the opportunities to go solve more business outcomes for the customers. Now, I think what I've heard from both of you as well is just how important it is for whatever zero trust access solution sorry tony i said it um whatever it is needs to be malleable it needs to be programmable and adaptable but at the same time you need to have that variation of deployment options of how it actually works in context of your organization and the only way you're going to figure that out is if you go into this not with just playing the short game but playing the long game and thinking about zero trust again back to the whole maturity model right there's what you need to solve today hand was pressed because you went remote. Now you're back. Now you've adopted the zero trust mindset. Where is that going to take you? And starting to realize those potentials. And I think through the work the two of you are doing, it's kind of illuminated in my mind that the potentials, like we said earlier, right? The possibilities are endless, right? It's up to your imagination as to what you want to string together to actually make zero trust work for your business. Uh, being cognizant yeah. of time, I do want to give you guys... Hold on, Wayne. I'll give you. I'll give you a chance. Uh, no worries. <laughs> do you have any uh, parting or final thoughts? I guess you know for the audience, anybody who's going through a zero trust uh, initiative, what 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 guidance would you give them in context of this conversation? Wow, that's like a layup for what I was going to say. Yeah, thanks, George. Um, I said there you go. I would start by saying, 
and I don't mean this to be hyperbolic. I, I, I sincerely, I, I think when it comes to security and what is happening in cybersecurity overall, we are where infrastructure was in 2012, mm-hmm. right? People know what the direction is, but where it's evolving to is being built. And in saying that, I think we touched on it earlier. Nobody has the solution for your business and your industry perfectly figured out. Some people are farther along than others. Some people have put more effort behind it, but there is no magic turnkey solution, right? This isn't this isn't 20 years ago when Palo showed up with the next generation firewall and blew the doors off Cisco, right? We are in a completely different space. And that driving uniqueness of the solution what becomes a great solution for the trucking industry will not be the great solution for content creators, will not be the great solution for major manufacturers, is going to have to be driven by the needs of the business. So I, I really, my closing thought is, you know, focus on a well-adopted framework and don't follow a single vendor. Don't go looking for the turnkey. Don't, don't be spoon-fed by the SE that walks in the room. Understand that you're going to have to drive this transition. And if you do it, it's going to be like cloud. In three to five years from now, you're going to be on the other side realizing you have more flexibility, more power, more malleability, and more real impact on the success of your organization than you ever thought you could. Or you can fight it, like many people fought cloud, and you're going to have three to five years of really hard times. Yep. Very well said. I think, you know, engage with your partners, right? The people who you've trusted, you know, and and challenge them. Right? What do they? What do they think? They've had many other customers say, "Hey, you probably are selling to other customers in my vertical. They probably have seen others, right? Um, how are others solving this problem? You know, this is the challenge that I have. Partner with me, help me find the solutions that can work together. Be part of the same team, right? Wayne and I are recruiting and building a soccer team in our ecosystem, right? We're looking uh, for the best of breed, right?" I'm a big Barcelona fan, right? They've, they've had their challenges. But uh, my goal is to have that, that Barca team, right, back to its shiny days and and go uh, look for um, Iniesta and Xavi and, you know. Um, uh, well, Xavi's building it now. Xavi's, that's why Xavi's back, right? Xavi's back. <laughs> so I'm hopeful. But it, it's about, um, you know, uh, engaging, right? Don't, don't be afraid. Don't, you know, it's like um, – you, you are making a transcendental change, right? You change your relationship with trust, your environment, exactly the point that Wayne said, this is a new architectural approach. You're building a new home, right? <laughs> Based on this, uh, you know, eminent catastrophic threat that's called cyber warfare, right? That it's here, it's knocking at our doors. So, um, you know, uh, be open, uh, you're not alone in this. None of us are. And if we take that approach, we have a opportunity to to win this asymmetrical war that it started, right? And uh, otherwise, it's not a one-man battle, you know, we, you know, yeah. So I would say um, ask the partners. There you go. Well, I appreciate all the insight that the two of you brought today. Um, it's been enlightening for me. I've definitely learned quite a bit. To uh, to finish everything up, we're gonna we're gonna end on a bit of a light note and have a play a game here that uh, has nothing to do with 
integrations, ecosystems, zero trust, cybersecurity, uh, or Barcelona, depending on Tony's answer. Uh, it's a rapid fire question. I'm going to ask three questions. You each get a chance to answer it. Um, let's kick it off. I guess, Tony, we'll start with you. What fictional family would you most like to join? I think it were called the Robinsons. I remember when I was a kid growing up, it was a family from, you know, some, some sea voyage that got, you know, stranded and they went to Australia. I think that's what it was. Um, so for me, that that family had to learn to discover and, you know, I, I always identify myself in that and my life has been kind of like that, right? Nice. A different island. So to me, it's always been Robinson's. What about you, Wayne? I guess that tosses it to me. Uh, I, I, I'm i not going to pick a family, but I'm going to pick a team, if you will. Uh, I'm a huge Expanse fan, both the books and the TV show. So I'm all about Mars. I will, I will plant myself in that universe. There you go. Uh, next question. What person from history would you most like to meet? Tony? Is that dead or alive? Assumes dead? From history. Dead or alive? Well, uh, dead Einstein, alive Elon Musk. Okay. Ideally together. Have, have a conversation with that him. That would be, yes. I... <laughs> and put in a good word for Wayne so that he can get into Mars. when that's, uh... Yep, that's right. <laughs> Amen. Right. What about you, Wayne? Oh, that's a difficult, that's the hardest question you could possibly ask me. It varies day to day. I'm going to go historical just because I've been running across a bunch of his quotes again and again. Uh, man, Mark Twain just has some amazing quotes. Uh, so a dinner with him would be uh, amazing. There you go. Timeless. Mm -hmm. Last question. If you could have an unlimited supply of one thing for the rest of your life, what would you pick, Tony? You said chocolate doesn't count, right? So um, you can say chocolate. That was my guess. My guess is that no. it would be chocolate for you. <laughs> well, I know uh, going through what we have gone through, I should say health. My mind wants Fair to say enough. money, but my heart says time. That's the endless supply that I would like to have. Time. We are getting deep. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Wayne, how about you? The best answer was taken, so good luck. Right? Yeah. So I, I guess I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to go with. Given that I have to work with Tony intimately through all this, patience. I need an endless supply of patience. I appreciate that, and I'll bring an endless supply of chocolate for you if you like chocolate. <laughs> patience, time, and chocolate. Hey, listen, both of you, thank you so very much. Uh, this has been fantastic. And thanks for, uh, thanks for listening to today's episode. You can find show notes and other episodes at appgate.com forward slash podcast. If you're not yet a, a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This show is a production of AppGate. The opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the hosts and the guests and may not represent the views of their organization. I'm your host, George Wilkes, and you've been listening to Zero Trust 30. There it is, guys. That's a wrap. Well done. Thank you. That was awesome. That was fun.